Welcome, one and all, to Strange New Worlds, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hailing frequencies are open. Say hello to the entire very judgmental internet. Strange New Worlds, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 203. Tomorrow, and tomorrow, and tomorrow comes to you now via the good hot dogs you shouldn't skip when you can get them pete just a bit of fleet news before we arrive at the episode just yesterday was secret invasion saturday as we talked about episode two of that series definitely uh enjoying the intrigue and drama there yes matt we're already a third of the way through that series if you could believe it so definitely check that out over on the secret invasion podcast feed but come tuesday matt we'll be bringing you our thoughts on indiana jones and the dial of destiny indeed pete indeed agree Looking forward to that discussion there, so podcast listeners, certainly share us your thoughts if and when you have seen the film. And Pete, on, I think, no, I know, rosier, at least short-term skies here, SAG-AFTRA has uh, forestalled the strike and uh, extended the status quo for 11 days more and counting, so hopefully a contract resolution in that time, and hopefully that's also positive news you know for star trek continuing to film this summer yeah it's uh really down to the wire here and you know we talked about streamer slowdown uh one with the idea that all right so much going on and now two they all have their war chest to fall back on the longer the writer strike and the potential um screen actors guild strike might last so um yeah my worry is we're gonna wind up in uh covid times where we got very little new pete to continue on that rosy note there uh as some twitter users noticed yesterday there now is an official elon musk policy limiting the number of tweets that can be seen by people or by people who don't pay and or it's reportedly uh, been been out there in the business press that Twitter has stopped paying for uh, its Google cloud storage and things of that sort. So just a reminder that our variety of contact info is in the episode description of this and every podcast, as well as summarized at the end of this and every podcast that we do. So if, you know, one day the Twitter bird turns up dead and never to return or complete meltdown or whatever. Let's keep our, uh, our podcast conversation going here uh, through those means of communication. Also, Fantastic Geek will not be extorted to pay a billionaire. So there's that. With that, Pete, let's head into our mission briefing. Lieutenant La'an Noonien Singh records a log on Stardate 1851.2 about the difficulty of being the Enterprise security officer as she moderates a dispute between a crewman and Transporter Chief Jay after he accused them of stealing a ring in the pattern buffer. An anonymous noise complaint against Spock for playing his new Vulcan liar. 
and engineering chief Pelia with a bunch of items belonging to the archaeology department, including a painting the Louvre wants back. Pelia still maintains a bunker in Vermont where she used to live in case their idyllic future turns out to be a fad. Later, Laon blows off steam in the gym with an unseen sparring partner revealed to be an unjuiced Dr. Umbenga, who counsels her to go easy after she didn't come to the welcome back party for number one. He uses her energy against her to throw her to the floor and advises her that she doesn't need to bear everything herself, but she'll see him again tomorrow. What a marvelous opening this is, Pete. A, setting the table, of course, that this is a Laon-centric episode. B, I suspect that very few viewers saw in this amusing opening here, you know, pattern buffer yelling at people, Spock who's been looting too hard, Pelia, you know, played by comedian Carol Kane, the Emmy winner for being funny, saying funny, useless things about, I don't know, archaeology this, bunker that. I guarantee very few people said, oh, wait, they're setting up plot stuff for later on. Uh, it's just, you know, effortlessly constructed here. Uh, and indeed, Laon going for that walk uh, after the sparring session there in a random hallway. There's a whooshing. No, no, Pete, it's not Marty. It's all about your kids. Something's got to be done about your kids. Instead, this is a man in a gray suit bleeding. That's not phaser fire. He was shot by one of those bullets. Uh, he says that there's been an attack in the past and she must stop it. Uh, he shows her presumably an incursion from uh, or revolving around the time stream, hands her the time device. Uh, you have to get to the bridge, he says, and then uh, he dies. Uh, there's a ripple of time energy going down the corridor, you know, Pete, resetting the timeline and so forth. Uh, and she goes to the bridge to find why that's TV's Captain Kirk. Yes, and also Ortegas at the wrong station here. As Kirk turns the chair around, he asks her who she is and what the hell she's doing on his ship. This episode written by David Reed and directed by Amanda Rowe. Uh, back into the bridge there, there's a Vulcan ship calling. It is Spock, captain of the Shirelle. Pete, don't know if there's any relation to the, you know, 50s, 60s group, the Shirelles, <laughs> uh, from New Jersey, I might add. Uh, but it is Captain Spock talking to Captain James Kirk, uh, who is in charge of the United Earth Fleet Ship Enterprise. Pete, don't know if you noticed, they redid the dedication plaque in the background to reflect as such. I did not notice that, but uh, Spock formally requesting assistance in their disastrous war against the Romulan Star Empire, maybe in another lifetime, as they have their own problem with Romulus. But Kirk apologetically declines. Laon asks to speak to Kirk in private, where she tells him about the alternate timeline when He's not captain of the Enterprise. It's far likelier she's lost her mind, but there's no record of her in their database. She tells him about the man she saw 
and the attack in the past wiping out her reality, but doesn't know what changed. She shows him the device, which she theorizes is why she still remembers her timeline. She brings up the regulations of Starfleet, which Kirk has never heard of, and asks her to hand the device over so his crew can analyze it, but she won't. When she grabs it, they push the green button, bringing them to a back alley lined with garbage dumpsters in the past. Kirk pushes the button again, but it's red and unresponsive. La'an thinks it's brought them to when they're supposed to be and doesn't want them to leave. She says they have to stop the attack and asks if he has a tricorder, but he doesn't, nor a communicator or a phaser, thanks to the device sending them back. They have a look around. What Kirk thinks is mid-21st century New York City, despite the signs for Toronto Eastern Center and a Jumbotron with a story about budget overruns on the Lake Ontario Bridge, but he's never been to Earth at all, born on the USS Iowa, and apparently never learned to read. (laughs) Um, I'm sure, Pete, many a Toronto resident chuckled at the notion that for once, Toronto got to play Toronto. Pete, I went through my own phase of a couple of seasons of Suits, which took place in New York. You know, what with the CN Tower in the background and all of that. So, Toronto, good to see you as yourself. Uh, Kirk does share that his Earth of the 23rd century is a wasteland. Uh, They are going to get some clothes since Canada can be cold, almost as cold as shooting a scene on a Toronto sidewalk with no cover and having the story blown a year and a half in advance. If only they had used some tarps, Pete. If only they had used some tarps. You have read my notes there that say they need warmer clothes to cover up their conspicuous uniforms that spoiled the surprise of this episode. So they enter a store where Kirk struggles with the revolving door, again, never having been to Earth. They come out of the changing rooms wearing nearly identical outfits, so Kirk gallantly goes back in and removes his top, causing La'an to catch a glimpse of his chiseled chest that she turns away from to give him privacy. She sees they're still using money at the time, and he asks if she's a fast runner, but she plants an item with a security sensor in a female customer's bag that sets off the alarm and distracts the guard so they're able to leave. That's a security chief move right there, Matt. It's a great little moment because the episode would not have been any lesser if they got out by simply running out or if they went over to the security guard and said, hey, what's that over there? And then ran out the back or something like that. But to give it a character moment here, the security chief using security means to set up a smoke screen and all of that, it's, it's, it improves the episode ever so slightly as opposed to not doing it would not have been a negative, but it, it, it's made all the better here. Uh, outside, they throw out their old clothes. What? I, I know. Those, those are expensive costumes there, but... And also contaminating a timeline, like... I would agree there is risk of contaminating the timeline. Maybe 
uh, I don't know. I, Pete, I guess uh, the hope... Well, Pete, we're going to talk about changes to the timeline in theories. All I will say is, for some people, it's the least of our problems because this is the first time Star Trek has ever changed things except for, you know, the last uh, 25 years of time travel episodes. But I digress, Pete. They need a way to make money. Uh, unfortunately, they don't have a Patreon plug that they can give here. Kirk has a different idea. Chess for money. Fun montage of him beating folks. It leads to getting much of the monies. Uh, and La'an is impressed that he's a chess guy, you know, can think five steps ahead and all of that. Uh, in fact, he's used to three-dimensional chess. He's really good at it. So this two-dimensional version, easy. And Pete, they convert some of that money to buy the hot dogs. La'an initially saying no thanks. Um, a little back and forth here. She's ordered to do so. Of course, he's not Starfleet. Uh, she reiterates, uh, just in case you're having too much fun, she reiterates, why are they here on this day? Why the two of them? What must they do to change the future? But wait, Pete, what's that over there past the boat? Well, the scene was lit like the wildfires, Matt, is what I wondered. <laughs> and then it's just a sunset. So whew, the the ash clouds, that comes later for Kirk's timeline. <laughs> uh, and in some cases, let's see, let's check in on the New Jersey air quality right now. 90, which is higher than it should be. So a reminder that we're all interconnected on this, this spaceship of Earth. Um, but indeed, Kirk is admiring that sunset. He has not seen one before that the clouds of ash, as you mentioned, Pete, are on Earth. People live on windowless lunar bases. The life lesson here, Pete, somebody make it a T-shirt. Don't skip the hot dogs when you can. Boom, put a little outline of Kirk and La'an there or the Star Trek Delta or whatever. Chef's kiss for a great T-shirt. Go make it happen, people. So after agreeing to eat... Uh, Lon also says they need to find a warm place to stay uh, after dark and is restless in a hotel bed, uh, putting on a robe to check on Kirk on the couch where she thinks he's sleeping and returns to the bedroom where he sees her turn out the light. A busy bridge bustles in the morning as Kirk extols the virtues of the analog shower in their super nice room with a massive outdoor deck over a sonic one. La'an is trying to remember 21st century history so they can figure out what's changed, but there's a tiny bar to go through. Kirk is also worried fixing her timeline destroys his but she says it's not supposed to exist. Yes, their 21st century got bad, but first contact with the Vulcans turned Earth into a paradise. She tells him he does exist in her timeline, though they've never met. She's heard stories about him from his brother, Sam, who has died in his timeline. The moment is interrupted when the bridge explodes primarily in the reflection of the spacious window and La'an recalls the dying time traveler's direction to get to the bridge wordplay in this excellently written uh episode beat they go to the bridge uh they approach the police cordon uh they see that uh the damage of the bridge itself is somewhat far uh however there's 
rubble and so forth being taken by La'an notes that uh, the damage on it is a bit familiar. Um, it's that, that, that piece being taken away uh, has evidence of charring from a photonic bomb. This is of course, well, how uh, did they see that though? Pete, there's a helpful woman who used to be on the TV show rain who had a, a panel at my very first New York comic con. Um, and regardless, she's taking pictures of it, and with that, they're able to to zoom in and so forth uh, to establish outside the anonymous photographer woman's, uh, yeah, outside her ability to, to hear, in part because her ears aren't as pointy as they used to be, um, that this photonic bomb is indeed proof of future tech, a future incursion, the timeline under attack, etc., they need to follow the evidence being placed in a van. So Kirk uses the nerve pinch he learned from his Vulcan cellmate, or Selly, in a Denoblian prison on a civilian to steal his red Dodge Challenger. Kirk can also make plomeek soup in a toilet. As it starts to snow, uh, Kirk takes a minute to figure out the mechanics when the car goes in reverse first and then they follow the van as discreetly as his grandfather's name tiberius sam is his brother's middle name but most people call him george laon says no one does he doesn't recognize laon's infamous last name as the van gets away and they speed after it in a different direction ultimately getting cornered by the cops and Kirk is thrown on a cop car and arrested. But there's the very helpful photographer again, who is now streaming the arrest on her phone, uh, claiming Kirk is an American civil rights attorney who published an op-ed in The Atlantic about breaking up police unions. The cops are conveniently called back to the bombing site as backup and let Kirk off with a warning they thank their savior, whose name is Sarah, S-E-R-A, with La'an introducing herself as Vanessa. She saved them because they were following the van. She's used to working on her own and said the bridge was destroyed so it'll distract from the real threat, aliens. James tells her his wife, Vanessa, was abducted. She says, uh, Sarah does, an international cabal has a facility nearby where they work on experimental aircraft, quantum computers, and even a cold fusion reactor powers it. <clears throat> but she's hungry, so they go to the Lakeview Diner, where she shows them a picture of a spaceship Kirk recognizes, and footage of a guy waiting 15 minutes before the bombing, who eventually made off with a wreckage as the meal concludes sarah is just grateful that the two listen to her theories she walks one way and kirk confirms to laan that that weirdo alien ship was indeed a romulan vessel kirk is now remembering that the uh, presence of a cold fusion reactor in toronto is is true and the romulans will destroy it in a few days um it, if only they had more resources, you know, like a tricorder that could easily get them to 
to find the cold fusion reactor. Too bad neither of them have engineering training, nor, you know, as Kirk spitballs here and the the, the mastery of construction of the episode sna- uh, snaps into place. Too bad we don't know anybody who has lived in the past for a long time and won't ask questions and maybe has engineering training as well. Uh, actually, says La'an, if we go to Vermont, to a place called the Archaeology Department, uh, that will solve all our problems. And Pete, what esteemed uh, destination of higher learning uh, is uh, the Archaeology Department at? Uh, that I didn't catch. Uh, that's because it's not at an academic place. It's a uh, an antiques barn uh, where Pelia is there. Laon says she knows her name and her secret. Uh, all three go inside. Uh, Pete, I'm perhaps going a bit fast past the whole, you know, Laon and Kirk bribed a border guard and got to the United States illegally and so forth and then later just by implication they're going to sneak over the border again um I'd, i'm going to assume such things are easy to do when you're laon and kirk do you have any idea how far it is from toronto to vermont um given that there's great lakes to deal with and given that new york state is massive um, I'm going to guess you're probably talking a, I'm going to guess a 10 hour drive and not quite, uh, seven, eight hours, but still, I mean, they cover it four buses and, and a taxi, but man, Kirk must've made a killing with the idiots two dimensional chess there to have all this, uh, cheddar. Um, and now to have this discussion with Pelia here about protecting humanity's future. Uh, Pelia, not yet an engineer and hasn't taken a math class since Pythagoras made it up. But Matt, listeners to the uh, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny podcast on Tuesday will, of course, learn about the real father of math. Indeed. Um, some of the, the, uh, holes are filled in here on indeed hammering home that she knows about the history of the Lanthanites Kirk proud that the man at the Apple store, uh, taught him how to use duck, duck, go. Um, and, uh, the takeaway here, both Pelia and, uh, the, the pairing of Laon and Kirk have secrets. Laon says that they are on a mission to protect something beautiful. Can you help? save the future but it turns out pelia you know the vaunted engineer is no engineer in this time she works retail um (laughs) this is no best best line here i have to wonder was it improvised was it carol kane was it the script whatever this is no engineer's engineering place it's just it's just beautiful pete poetry in motion it is uh but they can find the reactor by tracing its byproducts, one of which is tritium, which Pelia knows is in divers' watches from the 80s, which lit up. Laon removes the base of one of them, and now they have a tritium detection device. Back in Toronto, Laon and Kirk have wandered for hours 
in what is apparently the longest day ever that allowed them to get back and forth from Toronto and then have the sun go down uh, without the watch glowing. And he admits he'd rather live in her timeline. Uh, she admits people are usually difficult for her because of her heritage. They kiss and she glows. The watch glows as well. Uh, Pete, did we watch two different stories this past Thursday that involve time travel and a watch? Because we did, and that's really weird. I'll just leave it at that for those who have not seen something else that we're podcasting. Um, but Both that was... that used to be produced by Paramount. Uh, that's true. There's just... Uh, it, is this proof of the alien incursion or the international governmental cabal meant to what cooperate? Is that in retrospect, is that Sarah's problem that the, all the governments are, yeah, I guess it is her problem. Anyhow, Pete, they follow the watch glowing thing here to a lovely space. I would be interested to know what this space is because on the left, it looks like old timey building, but then they're inside in this kind of glass exterior interior structure it really looked interesting. Uh, they see someone scan in on a hand pad, you know, off there, 30 feet away or whatever. What is this place? It's the Noonien Singh Institute for Cultural Advancement. La'an scans her hand and the door opens. She helpfully murmurs to herself, there must be a DNA marker that allows for this. Which I think, Pete, on many levels might be story baloney, but it also worked, so therefore it's story truth as well but wait pete who's behind her if only she moves out of the way so the camera can see that is sarah who has drawn a gun on them and kirk puts it together that she's the one they're looking for sarah has finally recognized kirk from the future and her people have been the ones slowing humanity's progress because of how troublesome it becomes La'an IDs her as a future Romulan, and Kirk says that if she shoots them, the building will have alarms go off and go into lockdown. So she shoots him, and the alarm sounds, and Kirk asks La'an to say hi to Sam for him as he dies. A powerful moment here. Uh, Sarah wonders if perhaps she was impulsive, but she gets to say that she killed James T. Kirk and into the Institute they go. Sarah, in case you weren't quite sure whether she's good or bad, quickly kills one, two, three security guards uh, or other Institute workers. Uh, and now the plan has changed. They're not headed to the reactor. Do you get that, Pete? Because somebody from the set decoration department is going to build a sign that says genetic laboratory left, reactor right. And just in case you're unclear of it, we're going to get not one but two shots of the sign lingering on the idea that the genetic laboratory is over there to the left. And they turn left because they're not going to the reactor. They're going to the genetic laboratory. And demanding that La'an open a door with a child's handwriting of the name Khan. She, Sarah, is there to kill him because a simulation by a computer told her to. Maybe humanity needed Khan's brutality to usher in its enlightenment. Sarah says all this was supposed to happen back in 1992 and she's been trapped there 
for 30 years because they filmed this in the winter spring of 2022. Uh, more discussion later, an elegant solution here that Star Trek not only has come up with formally in this episode, but has been operating under for multiple seasons of multiple shows here regarding the timeline, but just great stuff. I love that side note. I love the upfront. They're saying things are changing here. Things have changed from your original, you know, I watched space seed in 1967 or whatever it is. And they said specifically 1992 and things like that um, added to it. Pete, again, the elegant construction of this episode is Sarah says that changes can happen now, but it will not impact La'an because of the device that she carries. So, Pete, I'm not trying to make a joke here when I say that is Sarah essentially saying, that is the story saying, we're not going to have some sort of back to the future, you fade away if you create a timeline in which you don't exist. Instead, she's got a thing in her in her pocket where she can change the timeline but not wink herself out of existence. It's a great made-up rule for a made-up thing called time travel, at least reverse time travel, because we all time travel in the one direction. So with the disclosure that La'an can be whatever she wants, they fight, and Sarah opens the door with La'an's hand before La'an shoots her, and Sarah uses a Romulan device to disintegrate herself, and the light on the time device goes from red to green. La'an enters the room where a crying Khan asks if she's gonna kill him. She places the weapon used to gun down three guards on a table and dries his face of green blood and then asks if there's others like him. And he points to a photo of several other children wearing red sweaters. Pete, to dial back to the fight for a moment here. It's a good fight. Can I just say, I, Pete, I doubt the director, Amanda Rowe, is listening. Although you never know. We have had, you know, secret people from the Kurtzman uh, era of Star Trek reach out to us on Twitter while it exists via direct messages, which remain open to share things. Uh, look, Pete, I loved the pilot of lost. Okay. The Emmy winning direction there by JJ Abrams in the Emmy winning best drama season. I enjoyed the force awakens. Amanda Rowe here in this scene doing plenty of the old, uh, we're going to hit the camera to make it shake, shake, shake. So we don't see the stunt women and things of that sort. Maybe a little too much shaky cam. Take it down. We can aspire to be JJ without, you know, walking in his direct footsteps and so forth. But Pete, as you highlighted here, the real meat of the scene here, the notion that La'an, who has grown up with this grim legacy of Khan as part of her bloodline, there she is looking at him, looking at, you know, the 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 baby Hitler of her time if you will kid Con. indeed kid con and uh saying that he's right where he needs to be so condemning humanity short term for the the long-term paradise that is uh the, the post-apocalypse and the unity of earth and the vulcans coming and all of that she walks out she hits that green button and zips away 
She's back on the Enterprise and goes to its bridge where Pelia is being questioned by Pike and number one uh, regarding the items that she has had. It's a sticky issue, but Laon suggests maybe to just let things slide here. She's, of course, not in uniform. She wanted to check on something, and now she has Pete timeline restored. She heads back to her quarters where in a chair sits Agent MLA of the Department of Temporal Investigations. Um, the man who gave her the device was one of their agents, and she thanks Laon for completing his mission, which she insists she not share with anyone and hand over the device. MLA leaves, and Laon sits, removing the watch on a pad. She contacts Lieutenant Kirk under the guise of a security background check on Sam about where they were born, Riverside, Iowa. If she ever wants the real dirt on George Samuel Kirk, she can buy him a drink the next time they're on a starbase together. He hangs up and she sobs in relief as the camera finds the watch. A, a surprisingly moving ending here. And I had myself, I questioned myself, why was I so moved by it? It's not like I thought they were going to kill Kirk for real. Uh, it's not that I thought that Laon wasn't going to make it. I think, Pete, it is simply Christina Chong's acting prowess that 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 jumps through the screen here and makes uh, makes one feel what she feels. We have a tactical analysis of this week's threats. Let's start with the Romulan Sarah. Yeah, I uh, did not expect the turn here at first. Definitely just seemed like uh, the the Star Trek trope of helpful person in the past. You know, your, your Sarah Silvermans and a lot of uh, characters like that. Uh, I did dig the twist, though. Yeah, and I think that, um, I mean, as I said in the in the recap, uh, she was the lead of the CW show Rain uh, for four or five seasons. So she's had a, I, I think more recently, Pete, she's been on the Grey's Anatomy, which my wife has forsworn in recent seasons. Um, so she's had a very, very good run, to be sure. I think that her performance is good. Her on-screen presence is so lovely. It's like, why is this person not a bigger star? Um, because it's, it's just a wonderful performance here. She's, she's so sympathetic when she needs to be, and you believe that she's capable of killing, uh, many, many, many people, or if necessary, the backup plan, killing a couple of people like Kirk and Khan. Um, it's just a, it's, it, it's a great performance out of, uh, out of her. And Pete, speaking of Khan, it is kid Khan who, is weirdly not a threat in this episode, but the benefit is he remains to be a terrible, terrible threat for the future. Uh, Laon explains later, uh, they let a mass murderer live. Um, and we'll evaluate in the next segment how that might have changed the timeline should they have deviated from it. Um, you know, I've used the metaphor 
many times before on our podcast, Khan is Star Trek's the Joker, um, you know, the, the greatest villain that they have. And okay, to go back to him here as a child, no harm, no foul. We've known for a long time that La'an is connected to him. They were very upfront about that. Remains to be seen how often they can explore this space or if they'll ever even return to it. I was kind of surprised coming off the mention of it in the court-martial last week that we went back to it so soon. Pete, let's use our long-range sensors to scan for some theories, and let's hit it right out of the gate here. This notion that has been said uh, by Akiva Goldsman this week and kind of retroactively reinforced by Star Trek that we have seen in the last uh, couple of years, this notion that um, canonically within the Star Trek timeline, because of the temporal wars as shown in Voyager, as shown in Enterprise, that has modified the original timeline sketchy as it was you know the vague recollections of Khan in 1992 and all that that the that the nature of things have been um you know rocks have been put in the stream so things might flow a little bit differently but it still is reaching the same end point of the Vulcans come we are ready to reorganize the 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 great future is upon us that also allows Star Trek to go to the present time of whatever present time it's being made and have contemporary stories and things of that sort also money-saving stories i think it's just an elegant solution to say hey you know that made-up thing that somebody said back in 1967 we're adjusting it slightly using more made-up things that have already happened in star trek some of which happened in the late 1990s or early 2000s in episodes that you saw then but didn't complain as much that there wasn't nuclear holocaust etc it's just elegant we do a couple of those fixes here. It happens um, with George Kirk, right? Um, Matt, the Plomeek toilet soup idea potentially retcons the fact that when Chapel makes it for Spock during the onset of Ponfar in the original series in Amok Time, and he throws it against the wall that it was not anger, that it was a lousy recipe that made it to him. Uh, that's certainly, uh, that certainly is possible. Um, I, again, I just kind of, I, I look at the tweak to the timeline here where it's all communicated. I'm sure, Pete, there are people on Twitter, on YouTube, etc., having meltdowns about how this has changed Gene's timeline and whatnot. But again, I would just say nobody complained about how it was kind of, you know, hand hand waved away when Voyager went to the 1990s. Certainly, nobody was really saying um, in the Picard season two run when they went to you know modern day Los Angeles. It wasn't like, but Khan, but this, but that. It's just, it's uh, and, and again, the latter. I think done with the current you know, Star Trek understanding of tweaks they've made and so forth. But it's just a really 
this is an incredibly well-constructed episode, which I know I've said about other episodes this season, but boy, is it true, and boy, what a writing room that's producing these well-made gems. This Department of Temporal Investigations scene before on Deep Space Nine, in particular, the readout on the device was seen in uh, Star Trek before this in holographic form, uh, but definitely has been on a screen. Yeah, they're they're they know what they're doing making an episode like this. They know that um they know that if you turn the blind eye to other time travel episodes, like for example, those Voyager, I think it's a two parter where they go up to the nineteen nineties. Um I think reference is made there, again, there's some hand waving attempt like, Oh, what about the nuclear holocaust? Oh, not everywhere was as bad. Okay, fine. But they know that this is a real change you know young con not middle-aged con and all of that it's just uh it's so well done the uniforms being thrown in the garbage mat prior to the change in the timeline um agree now if you want to say i mean here i think is the simplest answer and one day the garbage person came and took the bag out and put the bag into a truck and the truck took it to a dump and it sat in the dump until the clothes disintegrated and or were never seen from again because then they paved the dump over or they put grass on top of it and one day built a park there. You know, like, it, it, it's a minor enough detail that I think it, um, I think we can understand how it did not forever change things. Uh, conversely, if you want to make the argument, well, let's have a scene where they burn it because Starfleet protocol is to blah, blah, blah. Okay, does that change the outcome of this episode? No. Is it another scene, which, by the way, you know, this is an hour-long episode, and this is one that really cooks along. You know, we have the amusing, uh, here's three things that the security officer has to deal with that are all baloney, only, you know, to later realize that one of them is a setup for later in the episode. This is just, you know, scene after scene after scene that works to advance the story. I don't know that a clothes-burning scene would have done anything other than have taken away one of our theory segments oh shucks <laughs> matt do you ship lurk or k on <laughs> um i think there's a lot of potential there i love i mean just these two actors seem to have chemistry the fact that uh the paul wesley james kirk lieutenant kirk can kind of come and go out of in and out of the story as needed. I mean, my goodness, Pete, they're going to be at Starbase together and have a drink, right? That's going to happen between now and the end of the season, right? Isn't that how, isn't that how we are starting to understand how a season of Stranger Worlds works? I'm starting um, to suspect it's next week. <laughs> um, well, yeah, Pete, I know nothing other than the title. Um, but I mean, regardless, I think there's there's. I don't know, there's just great chemistry there. Then kind of add to it, oh my goodness, Khan's descendant will have had some sort of romantic uh, moment with Alt-Kirk, with next week's Kirk, later season Kirk, whatever it is. Just the fact that there's been a Noonien Singh romantically and then an earlier Noonien Singh will come and be this incredible dark mark in Kirk's life, uh, the death of Spock, that then setting to events, the death of his son and so forth. It's just, um, the, 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 
the drama of it is too delicious to not resist. Uh, deliciously spoke of the plumic soup recipe there, but learned in a Denoblian prison, Matt, of course, Dr. Phlox from Enterprise, a Denoblian. Uh, also, and I have to credit Memory Alpha for this, uh, I did not recognize that the guy who lost, what was it, Pete, his ring? What did he lose in the transporter? Uh, he lost uh, his matriarch's ring. There you go. That um, character is meant to be a Denoblian cadet. Uh, so, you know, again, just the off, the Star Trek authenticity uh, being made here. Pete, let me ask you something here. Reference is made in this episode, of course, to how George Samuel Kirk and James Tiberius Kirk were both born specifically in Riverside, Iowa. Do you know how many times prior to this it has been canonically stated that James T. Kirk was born in Riverside, Iowa? Uh, I think never. I think Riverside actually claimed it. You are correct. Iowa has been out there for a while. Riverside, Iowa, this is which I think on some kind of basic level, we all have taken as, you know, it, it's from it's passed from myth to truth. Um, it's now, this is the first episode to canonically state it as such. So good job, uh, I don't know, town parents in Riverside, Iowa. You've done <laughs> it. You officially got Kirk. Somebody was cheering when that was disclosed in this episode. Does Pelia remember La'an? They kind of hand wave it in the writing oh i have a terrible uh memory for faces i think that unless the story needs her to remember i think that we've hand waved it away in a very understandable way which is to say in the year 2023 pelia already has what thousands of years of life Yes, the date she mentioned, Pythagoras, was 570 B.C. Uh, so there you go. So I, I think that while normal people, you might say, oh, I haven't seen somebody in 20 years. I have forgotten the face and the name completely. I think you know, we've all been there, let alone all the life that Pelia has lived so far, let alone all the life she's going to live from 2023 to her time on the Enterprise um i think it's it's more than acceptable and again is it a little thing you can keep in your back pocket for some sort of story out in the future yes but i think that we've retroactively answered why pelia wasn't like oh laan da, da, da. watch out for adventures ahead like it's she's just forgotten it because there's that much life lived but what she doesn't forget is that it creates her calling as an engineer yeah, which is a lovely, just a lovely turn here. A reminder, you know, there there are second acts in life and all of that. And, um, you know, again, it's just a really... We had wondered when some of the Pelia stuff would kick in. Um, I must confess, Pete, even with us knowing that there was going to be a Laan and Kirk time travel episode this season by virtue of guy on street who took a picture and put it on Twitter uh, two marches ago. Um, I don't know that we had the discussion, hey, I bet Pelia as this long-lived person, um, which is itself a sort of time travel, right? It's a one-way 
time travel, but I don't know that we had pegged, oh, Pelia will play a role in this, given that she's been on Earth for all this time, even though in retrospect, it was right there, it was right in front of us. Absolutely. The con stuff, in and of itself, okay, her descendant, they are tied together, uh, you know, Lon and the child, but that she takes a weapon that is used to gun down three people in that facility, also kill the Romulan who then, you know, covered up the evidence of her incursion, um, has Romulan blood on his face, wiped away, and then the weapon is left there and Lon leaves. So we've potentially made the pathway for Khan you know, genetically engineered, super child. We see all the other children like that they use the detail of the red sweaters and not the red jumpsuits that they're all wearing when they're found on the Botany Bay by Kirk in the original series. It's a nice touchstone. But, you know, this child, they had to believe because the weapon was there and these people were presumably dead. He did this and the troubled path. It is a troubled path. And I think that, um, though this is overall a delightful episode in which we get Kirk and we get some romance, we get some time travel and all of that. Um, I don't want to say that the episode sidesteps the larger philosophical issues because it does confront them head on. It just does not necessarily deal with them. Um, here's what I can say uh, of this Pete, I mean, many people have heard of the trolley problem. You know, do you do you change the course of a runaway trolley to hit one person instead of five people? At what point is your action for the greater good versus your inaction? You know, and so forth. Obviously, Laon's inaction here is, as I said earlier, it's it's an incredible short term pain caused upon humanity for a measurable improvement for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years to come afterwards um here's the solace i take from it pete you know there are there are good days and bad days in this world indeed in this last week uh i think some supreme court decisions that uh many people many listeners would uh, reasonably disagree with the solace i take from this episode is yeah sometimes there is the bad step back or there is the bad step that then is going to somehow inspire two steps in the right direction. And, and and that is not always clear because we don't always get, and now we're back on the enterprise where everything's great, but you know, one has to have that hope in order to keep moving forward. The device we're told protects Lon from changes. So she could have killed this eventual mass murder. She would not have doomed herself by doing that again as a descendant um but the question remains matt though she gave back the device she kept the watch and you know on first view she talks to the uh temporal investigation eight or she has taken off i think the coat maybe before they talk maybe not but initially when the coat comes off oh look there's the watch and then she has her emotional you know, she talks to kirk she has her emotional moment and all of that and kind of faded bit in my mind I, I watched the end of the episode the first time i think i was just so moved by lon's tears 
that I I did not consciously take in the fact that the camera then for the final shot changes focus from on to the watch. Seeing it the second time, oh my goodness, they really are focusing on the watch. And again, all I can say is it now that we kind of know how a Strange New World season works, if their plan is to not do anything with the watch ever again, all right, get rid of the shot. If you think you might do something with it, okay, put it in there. But these seasons are created with such knowledge of here's how 10 episodes can play off of each other. I have to think somehow that's going to play a role again this season. I just can't in the slightest imagine how a, what, it was 20 years old, how a year 2000 diver's watch with no glass on the front of it, how that's going to be interesting to someone in the 23 late 50s early 60s but uh, pardon me 2250s 2260s but i think it might be so i ask the question again is there a statute of limitations on plundering antiquities um i don't know pete you go to a world-class museum and i think their answer would be mumble mumble no hey you want to go see this cool thing that uh we got from a story we don't want to tell you i feel like pelia generally speaking is in the clear um pete it's the 23rd century what is ownership okay just because the louvre says i should own that painting why can't she just hang it in her quarters and have no one ever see it again i don't know it's the future with that pete let's go to hailing frequencies hailing frequencies open sir we head to twitter pete which as of recording still works uh, despite trending topics such as hashtag Twitter is broken, hashtag Twitter limit, hashtag Twitter is dead. Um, Pete, people were asked this, hot diggity dog, how would you rate this episode locking your vote with mustard? Uh, one hot dog, yucko, got 3.8%. Pete, whoever I, I anticipate whoever gave this episode of Star Trek in which uh, a woman, uh, a woman of minority status, no less, is the lead of the episode and in which a Kirk is killed. I assume whoever gave it a one out of four hot dog is going to thoughtfully explain that in the, in the, the replies to the tweet here. So I look forward to that kind of <laughs> nuanced explanation there other than lady who don't look like me, take my Kirk away, meh. And, and in socialist Canada too. Uh, anyhow, Pete, two hot dogs undercooked got 1.9%. Three hot dogs, yummy, got 19.2%, and four hot dogs, excellent, got 75%. Some replies here. First one from Rose Ferry, at Rose 584 I enjoyed the episodes that feature other cast members. It's not Pike's Strange New Worlds. I'm sure he'll be there plenty. Let the others have their time in the spotlight. Got my price increase email from Paramount Plus for less content than I want to watch. Feeble PH. Uh, pardon me, feeble P plus. I won't use the pH for that. Uh, which Pete, um, let's talk about that for a second. Yes, um, in a month's time, the price of Paramount Plus will go up, so that you can have Paramount Plus with Showtime and with no commercials. I know someone on Twitter tried to make a non-consent argument about this. Pete, can we first acknowledge that sometimes people that own stuff raise prices and change what's on there? Yes. Um, the big issue I take with it, yeah, they're giving you more, they're giving you showtime, but Paramount Plus is no longer going to be, actually it no longer is, Prodigy's gone, right? They went off the 30th? That's right, yeah. 
yeah, so uh, you you have access to less. I had tweeted out a clip from CNBC, the, the business news uh, channel, where business news people who sometimes get stuff right and sometimes get stuff wrong, they kind of were just blithely discussing how essentially this is a cute move for Paramount Global to combine Showtime and Paramount Plus, but it's not going to work. And Paramount Global is so burdened by all these cable channels that are all slowly failing as cable um, viewership decreases and so forth. They did not reach the conclusion like, therefore, Paramount is toast, but there definitely was kind of like a shrug. I don't know. You know, they're not a Disney. They're not a Netflix. They're not a Universal. They're not a Sony. Eh, something's going to happen. So I guess stay tuned. Um, I think the future of Paramount Plus, the future of Star Trek remains in flux, which is weird after this episode, which also talks about <laughs> how the future can be a flux. Next tweet, Pete, comes from uh, at Diana Bodenberg, who says, I swear this series gets better with each episode. Great chemistry between La'an and other Kirk. Maybe the UAPs we see in photos nowadays are Romulans. Loved seeing a Kirk from another timeline, but I still see a vampire from Virginia every time I see Paul Wesley. <laughs> oh, and I thought La'an was going to have some comment about the hot dog being murder since they really don't eat animals in uh, the Federation slash Starfleet. I was surprised later when we found out she actually ate it. Pete, I think security lady got to eat meat sometimes to survive. Uh, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I'm okay with a with a good hot dog. I'm a little bit of a hot dog snob, though. Uh, we heard from Prodigy Deserve Better. That's at K-C-L-Y-L-E-1 on Twitter. Great time travel episode, which is not always the case. Uh, at Christina Chong X. That's right, Pete. Our, our we podcast. Uh, reading a tweet here, which Christina Chong herself was uh, tagged. Christina Chong killed it the entire show. I'd uh, live to see the full episode or movie about how saving Khan saves the future. Not an explanation, but an, an actual full story. But that will never happen. Fun stuff. Uh, Pete, we are nominally supposedly getting the Nicholas Meyer scripted podcast miniseries about Khan, right? So maybe... Maybe it picks up yeah. when this yelling security guard as Lon beams back to the future uh, finds him with the murder weapon. That actually would make me more inclined to check out that scripted podcast. Like knowing that it was um, highly integrated into, you know, current Star Trek and, and their, their elegant solution here for, for the timeline and so forth. So I guess we'll see Pete, because it was announced September of last year. And I, I guess Pete, for some people, it takes a long time to make a podcast because something, something, I don't know. Pete, let's hear from Spider-Ham Lincoln at Tess LC one three nine, who says, brilliant strange new worlds. Bravo. This was an excellent story, and Christina Chong gave a beautiful, masterful performance as La'an. Also, supreme kudos to the episode's composer, uh, composer credited as Nani Melamud. That's at uh, Nami Composer on Twitter. The music was lovely and poignant and perfect. Thank you all. Uh, JT Adkins, JTA's me, says, I was expecting silly time travel fun, but wow, this was far beyond that. What a great little tour into La'an's struggles with her heritage and with connection. And when it came to that final scene in La'an's quarters, heartbreaking. I'm not crying, you're crying. Uh, penultimately, Pete, we heard from Brett Desmo Williams at BW Desmo. Great episode and another that sidelines Pike. 
Laan's Day style opening was great. Laan's emotional journey in this episode was heartbreaking, and her sacrifice to keep the timeline had layers to it that hit hard. How many would you kill baby Hitler conversations have I had? <laughs> Lastly, Pete, we hear from at Gunner JCH. Uh, the good one opening sequence of Laan's Day, uh, day to day on the Enterprise. Two, Kirk beating Spock in 3D chess was no fluke after all. Ooh. That's a nice catch there, Gunnar. I'd forgotten that. Uh, then three, final scene with La'an. Uh, the gives me heartaches, time travel inconsistency, but I'm not going to think too hard about it. No, no. Star Trek is okay with you thinking about it because they have that um, that solution that works for me. To Facebook, Matt, where Alan Thomas wrote in on our post of last week's episode, uh, ad Astra per Aspera, Virtually flawless is too strong for his taste. There was a cloying sentimentality to some of the speechifying that made him gag slightly. But it was a solid episode overall, a step up from the season premiere. The pivot to Asylum was especially clever. Pete, I'm surprised and interested to hear that uh, not everyone loved this episode nor this season uh i think we we welcome the diverse views here but uh i know each week i just am more and more enchanted with this show and uh i look forward to what's on the horizon for it uh pete let's now hear from someone who exists in every timeline i refer of course to admiral fred from the netherlands Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 2, Episode 3. Great episode. I think I would give it a straight A. Really very nice, and especially the performance of Christina Chong as Laan. Really, really great. Will Wheaton should have invited her instead of Paul Wesley to the ready room, who plays James T. Kirk in this episode. Although the interview with Paul was also very nice and gave some insights how he looks at playing the iconical James T. Kirk, which is of course so connected to William Shatner's performance. But in this episode it was easy for him because he could play an alternate James T. Kirk. So that could be quite different anyhow. The Romulan operative Syrah is played by Adelaide Kane. And I thought I, I know her from somewhere. And actually I recently saw a movie called Acquainted from 2018. Not the best movie I have to say. Although the performance of Rachel Scarstant in it is, uh, is good. And that's actually the reason why I was watching this. Because I was checking out all recent productions in which Rachel Scarstant plays a role. I know her as Alice in Batwoman, Poppy Langmore in Imposters, Elizabeth Tudor in Rain and Tamsin in Lost Girl. As I said in one of my previous feedbacks, I didn't know Carol Kane. And that's because actually she obviously played in much more comedic roles. Well, I don't like comedic stuff. Sorry for the sound in the background that are the church bells. So 
you know I'm recording at Sunday morning. But she, um, I like that she uh, was here again. Um, but <laughs> I have the impression always she's kind of drunk. And in this case that was uh, more or less okay because she was drinking beer. But uh, a very nice idea to go to her because her long-livity. Long okay, what about the James T. Kirk? I have to get used to it a little bit, but he played it, uh, Paul uh, played it quite okay. No pike here, but that's also okay. And nice to see the town of Toronto. Actually, some of the spots where they filmed, I was once touring around Toronto to look at, of course, Orphan Black filming sites. Christina Chong, by the way, has a very nice song also out at the moment, Twin Flames. <laughs> well, that could be applicable for her and the alternative James T. Kirk, but uh, nice to listen to. It gave me a little bit of feeling of the style of the Catherines. Uh, most people will know them. That is a, well, you could say a girls brand from Vancouver. They now are called... Fox Rea and our Canadian of course okay that will be all for this time greetings all the best Fred from the Netherlands Pete Fred's wisdom overfloweth one great reminder uh, that he shared here is this idea that the Paul Wesley Kirk that we've gotten so far you know despite the leak on Twitter despite the um good but not as surprising as it could have been if there wasn't a leak uh his presence in the season finale uh of last season despite the great job here we have only gotten alternate reality kirk thus far uh, um on the phone call at the end that, that is true aside from that brief phone call there but just that the main body here has been uh has been other versions and uh i thought that was a great observation i will uh gratefully await more uh paul wesley uh captain kirk lieutenant kirk um as a uh somebody who attended the same high school i did uh fred also encouraging listeners to check out christina chung's latest single uh and uh certainly it's uh, it's a joy to the ears uh, particularly if uh fred with the the church bells in the background there, if Fred puts his stamp on it, that, uh, you know, it must be good. Yes, heralded quite a bit online on uh, Christina Chong's social media accounts. So definitely check it out. Pete, though Twitter might have trouble paying for its bandwidth and storage fees from uh, from Google, uh, Google Cloud, etc., a real article said, I think, in businessweek.com. Uh, we have no such problems. That's in part due to the wonderful support of those who support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Pete, no limits to listening here, to downloading and so forth because of that back catalog, because of those who go to patreon.com slash fantastic geek and help us uh, with their support of that very thing. Yes, Fantastic Geek always pays its debts, and that is in no small part 
to your assistance when you go to patreon.com slash fantastic geek with the ph all one word takes just a dollar a month to get you behind that door you set the value you place on our content can't contribute right now no problem get yourself over to apple Podcasts. leave us a rating in seconds or a review in just a little while longer all of which help us and pete though uh we probably both will spend part of this afternoon researching alternatives in case twitter does melt down once and for all uh how can people reach you on twitter while it still exists if they want to use (laughs) some of their meager view count that elon musk will let them use if they'd like to talk to you on twitter how may they do so as my followers continue to drop in the undoubted uh, mass escadus here, uh, you can find me at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,767 followers. Can't be wrong for now. <laughs> and while Pete, personally, I am still on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast in a variety of ways. We are a fantastic geek on Twitter uh fantasticgeek.com gmail and of course instagram as well but we pete there's more another reliable social media network that will never let you down of course facebook.com slash fantastic geek uh with the ph all one word pete this podcast yesterday's secret invasion podcast and tuesday's podcast for indiana jones and the dial of destiny all simulcast on the pop culture podcast by fantastic geek so looking forward to that discussion of course next weekend returning for the double dose of secret invasion saturdays and star trek sundays with that pete i will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final word i told you my license is in my other pants (laughs) 